Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq el and you can keep up with us on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. Use that same username to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spotify, and any other platform you can think of. You'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. Before we get into our convo for today, we want to thank our sponsors, Recycle Processes and CIOGC. We thank you both for your continued support. If you don't know what CIOGC is, that is the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicagoland. And uh, you can find out more about them at CIOGC.org. Family, I am happy to have joining me in studio two great individuals who, uh, who are going to tell us about a wonderful, a wonderful exhibit that you have to see, right? You have to see it. And once you hear about it, you're going to want to go see it. We have Dr. Peter Alter. And he's just so unassuming, you just never know, right? But he is. He is Dr. Peter Alter. He is the chief historian and director of the Studs Terkel Center for Oral History. Uh, this is at the Chicago History Museum. And we have Mona Askar. She is the curatorial assistant for the American Medina Stories of Muslim Chicago exhibit that you got to see. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome both to, to, you, to you both. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Um, so where do we start? I had the pleasure, and it was a limited pleasure, right, because I came through on a Saturday. Uh, I wasn't able to stay as long as I would have liked to, mm-hmm. but the hour that I was able to be there was just phenomenal. So I'm going to get back. Uh, tell us, we got to start, start at the beginning. How did this exhibit come about? Uh, so it is actually the third in a series of exhibitions about the Abrahamic faiths. Uh, we in t- 2008 we did a Catholic Chicago exhibition, and in 2012 we did a Jewish Chicago exhibition that was called Shalom Chicago. So here in 2019 we've done the American Medina Stories of Muslim Chicago uh, exhibition, and uh, so that's the long history of it. Uh, the slightly shorter history is that uh, it began as an oral history interviewing project in the summer of 2016. Uh, and at this point, we've collected 130 interviews. And about 40 of those interviews serve as the interpretive backbone of the exhibition. So kind of everything, that's the focal point. Everything spins out in all three of the sections, identity, journey, and faith, based on those 40 or so oral histories. Mm, okay, so this is an extension of basically looking at the Abrahamic faiths in Chicago and putting them on display. That's right, yes. So uh, both the, um, the Catholic Chicago exhibition actually had uh, a, a teen group with it, a group of teenagers, as we've had with America Medina, our teen historians. They also did oral histories for that project, but none of those oral histories uh, were in the exhibition. The Shalom Chicago exhibition did not have uh, oral histories as part of it, and so um, you know we're really happy that we were able to uh, do these oral histories. And for the long term, even beyond the run of the exhibition, uh, have create an online oral history archive. So eventually all these 130 plus will be online, on SoundCloud, full audio, full transcript. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I know you've been you've been at this type of work for a while. Uh, I've right. been at the museum for 20 years, and I was in school getting those the, the DR period before my name for about 
uh, 15 years before that. Okay. Yeah, right. so, uh, yeah, I've been at this for a while. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Now, Mona, was this your first experience putting together um, an exhibit, you know, curating items? Um, oh, yes, definitely. Okay. <laughs> I'm a newbie here, so he's got 20 plus years. Yeah. I've got a year. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's been a gratifying yeah, year. it's been it's yeah. been interesting and it's a great experience actually. Because um, I've done community beforehand and education as a teacher, so this was kind of somewhat a marriage of the two. Yeah. Okay. Um, now talk a bit about the title American Medina. Right. Yeah, uh, and that's a great question. A lot of people want to know about the title. So. Um, what we do through a lot of our exhibitions, you know, is we do do we do deep research. Yeah. Um, we do research historically, of course, we're the Chicago History Museum, but we also do sort of more what's happening now. And of course, with this exhibit, we're featuring people who are alive and well and contributing to communities, urban and suburban. So. Um, through some of our research, we uh, discovered that sometimes um, uh, American Medina, uh, Chicago is known as the American Medina and kind of nicknaming itself, of course, after Medina, Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And then that was something that was kind of st stuck in my head. And then um, Mona did an interview uh, with Imam Sultan Muhammad, and he talked about how uh, Detroit was uh, kind of Mecca for the nation of Islam mm -hmm. and Chicago was kind of the Medina and so we thought well there's another example of it being used in that way and we were kind of kicking around other titles that really wouldn't be worth an interview question <laughs> <laughs> so at least American Medina brings us to that point yeah. um, and, and, it, and it's like a, a point of conversation I think um, within Muslim communities, I think people sometimes understand it more. I think it's more within the non-Muslim communities where we kind of have to start with what Medina Saudi Arabia is and then go from there. Right. Um, but uh, naming exhibitions is always is always a, a lot of um, kind of guesswork and and wondering you know what's going to stick and what's not going to work. You didn't do a focus group or anything like that, did you? <laughs> not for the title. Uh, <laughs> not for the title, but we did do we did do a series of three focus groups for mm -hmm. the exhibition. Um, we had one that was our community advisors, one that was uh, other members of um, other Muslim communities, and then one that was non-Muslims. But not for the title. No, okay. no, no focus groups for the title. But I think for a title, we've nailed the head on that. I mean, I personally, I think so too. I like the title. Yeah, works. yeah. And you know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What what I found really uh, great about that it also shows this kind of a transition, mm -hmm. um, because for me, you know, I was aware of that history. You mm -hmm. know, you know, because my parents, uh, when they converted to, uh, to Islam, it was in the Nation of Islam, mm -hmm. and later on to uh, be part of the community of Imam Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So you know, that was very much, you know, just kind of common knowledge. We looked at, you know. Uh, we understood the migration from Detroit to mm -hmm. Chicago mm -hmm. and that, um, but was that um, was that type of awareness something that you found um, with Muslims, uh, non-African American Muslims, with the immigrant Muslim community uh, in particular when they? Because I mean, of course, we all know Medina, mm -hmm. right? right? But was that a history that uh, you found others were aware of as well? Uh, I think, as far as I know, as you say, the non-African-American Muslim community, not, not as much. Um, 
there there were other like Chicago Sharif, um, yeah. you know, other names uh, out there. That was one of the other ones, but we didn't find that as universal. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what your experience, Mona, was. Yeah, if no, they didn't. Um, as outside of the non-African American Muslim population, they didn't really recognize too much, but it did click with them once they just started putting pieces together, especially when they found out that the first known documented mosque was in Chicago, as in yeah. the first mosque built in Medina. And it's like, oh, there goes a light bulb in their head. And right, right. And then just, I think about what Medina signifies, you know, a place where you could actually come to mm-hmm. and and put down roots and, and have a sense of safety and community. Uh, so wonderful, wonderful choice of title. All right, awesome, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. What has been the what, what has been some of the challenges uh, that you faced in curating um, items for this exhibit? Yeah, uh, multiple challenges. You know, obviously none of them that we couldn't at least approach and try and solve. But really, why oral history was because you know you look at an organization like Chicago History Museum, officially the Chicago Historical Society, founded in 1856, literally as an organization to kind of capture the founding fathers of the city, you know, going back to the mid-19th century. So while, you know, we have made certainly strides and to some extent good strides, great strides, uh, in broadening the base of our collections, you know, unfortunately uh, our collections uh, don't cover Muslim communities, urban or suburban, hardly at all. There is some material related to the Nation of Islam. We do have some programs from Savior's Days and some of Elijah Muhammad's books in our uh, library collections, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a wider African-American Muslim community and any other communities, not very well documented. So we were basically starting from zero. So if you look at some of our other exhibitions, um, a lot of the curatorial staff would be able to go in storage and say, okay, we're going to use that and we're going to use this and we're going to use that and we got to pull it out of storage and we got to conserve it and we got to mount it and we got to put it up. Mm. But we had to start from zero. Mm. So, you know, that's where I think um, me to some extent, but Mona to a great extent was able to use her sort of community networking ties to bring in a lot of the 80 or so artifacts that are lent to us mm-hmm. from community members. So, you know, Radio Islam listeners, if when you visit the exhibition, you'll be seeing stuff from, you know, people you might know, from people from your own masjid, from your neighbors, from the community centers, from people you met a long time ago, because everything is loaned to us. We're very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so was everything used that you were able to curate? All the objects and all yeah. the... Just a majority, just only small amount of objects that we probably... You didn't tell anybody. You didn't tell anybody. No, we, we don't need that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I see what you're saying. We said that a lot. No, actually, that was a that was, and that's a, a great question. So, um, I think we the amount of materials that Mona and I were able to bring in, I think, was a little bit vexing for our exhibition designer because we did start. They were, I think, the design staff was saying, "Oh, well, this will be kind of." Uh, oral history heavy and ex- and object light mm-hmm. and that was how we did start uh, but it became kind of heavy on both ends right oral history and the objects so um, I know it was a trick um, and sometimes we do have exhibitions where the designer just simply can't fit in objects 
but we really I mean I never really kind of opened the door to like oh well we can not include this we right. had to find some creative solutions um, but that we we included everything um, there were a few things that were duplicative or out of scope um, that we were offered um, but we included everything that we really, you know, wanted to ask for and got. Mm. Yeah. So there was kind of a, a balance. Well, I shouldn't say a balance, but there was an inclusion between the history of Chicago's diverse Muslim communities as well as present day uh, attitudes towards Muslims. That's and right. Not in the not in the, the best light. Right. <laughs> right. Looking at Islamophobia. <laughs> right. So was uh, talk about the decision to include that um, that element. Um, you know, in the exhibit, and particularly uh, using, you know, using the, the, the like the loops. You have mm -hmm. the video footage on loop. I thought that was uh, just really a wonderful, mm. you know, touch. Mm -hmm. So we do have an area in the exhibition uh, that we title uh, "Anti-Muslim Racism," uh, you know, uh, commonly known as Islamophobia. And so there's a couple of things going on. There's the video monitors that you mentioned, which is actually the same video but at uh, that runs at kind of it starts at different points mm -hmm. so that's pulled um, uh, news footage primarily from various places like I think ABC Al Jazeera and local footage as well of you know communities resisting um, like basically blocking any ability to build a mosque. Uh, there's a, a family being attacked, uh, celebrating Ramadan being attacked in a public park, Yeah, uh, I think somewhere in the south. Um, we also actually reached out to um, uh, various communities. Uh, I contacted a, a mosque, a Turkish mosque in Connecticut uh, that had been burned down by an arson. Mm. And um, uh, and so I texted the number I found, and right away I got lots of pictures. You know, very helpful for us, very unfortunate for that mosque. But um, so we have that on the monitors, and then we have a soundtrack that's about seven and a half minutes that follows this kind of narrative arc um, uh, of our oral history narrators, our interviewees, where um, we start with. Um, discrimination that uh, adults experienced when they were in school, like elementary school. And then you hear um, a woman, for example, was not allowed to wear a headscarf for her uh, driver's license photo in, in the state of Illinois. And then you hear um, uh, experiences people had after September 11th. And then it, it ends on a more positive note where people are saying, okay, yes, this is happening, but we are fighting this in different ways. Uh, yeah. So, and Mona, you were able to reach out to, I forgot, Shema, that uh, photo that went yeah. um, viral. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> so that's all Mona. Yeah. <laughs> Please do talk about that because um, you know how it is, you know, you, you got Facebook friends, but yes. like, so we're Facebook friends, but you know, I've never had any like real communication with her, uh, but I recognize that picture immediately so please explain to uh, to anybody describe that picture for folks who may not know what it is it yeah, just is i lit up when i saw that one of the coolest photos in there yeah. yeah and that is one of the most daring photos because she's standing basically or squatting in front of uh i would say what was their their westboro Baptist church i think uh, they were yeah. Yeah. yeah so they were in dc in front of isna from what i understand 
Yeah, and so she just happened to come out of his house, see them there, and decided to pose in front of them. <laughs> there she is, a Muslim, peace sign and everything, just posing in front of him. Yes. <laughs> <It's a cool laughs> and, and you're not the only one that went through that exhibit, saw that, and said, hey, I have that. She's a friend of mine on Instagram, or she's yeah. following her on Instagram, or something like that. Yeah, so just one quick message to her saying, we love your photo. Um, this is perfect for our anti-Muslim racism section because we're talking about just all of the ignorance that piles on any marginalized minority community right. and it wouldn't be a complete story about the Muslim community without it. Yeah. And so we also want to end it with this sign of we have the Malcolm X quote up there and talking about how you were supposed to stand up in the face of ignorance and everything. So, I mean, this, perfect, this picture is perfect for it. Can yeah. we use it? She jumped at the chance. She loved it. She loved yeah. the idea that it's in there. That is, that is, I think that's a picture that's going to, that'll stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. I just feel like yeah, that yeah. is, mm -hmm. yeah, that's resistance. <laughs> it's like you can't, you can't impact the way I see me. Mm -hmm. I'm confident. Uh, and, and I don't even take you seriously. That's <laughs> right. That's right. That's kind of one of the most important They're standing important there. Parts. They see the camera. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the funny thing is that they're looking directly at the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they know they had their photo taken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and that the whole anti-Muslim racism section actually we were talking about focus groups earlier did come out of one of our focus groups because we have these sections of identity, journey, and faith, and we presented those to one of the two all-Muslim focus groups, and they said, yeah, those are good, but really you're missing this piece uh, about you know Islamophobia or anti-Muslim racism. So yeah. we felt that was really important to include. And then after New Zealand, we're like, okay, yeah, definitely. That's right. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this, Peter. Um, as a historian, uh, because you could have approached this uh, in, in a multitude you know, of, of different ways, mm -hmm. how important was it for you to make sure that Muslim voices were a part of putting together this exhibit? Well, yes, a great question. And, and through our Stud Circle Center for Oral History, we do collaborative community-based oral history projects. And so we have at least a fairly recent track record of working with communities, large, small, uh, religious communities, ethnic communities, neighborhood communities, in this way, um, asking people a broad range of general questions and getting their responses about their own history, about their own background. And so, um, honestly, uh, I think our main core of visitors is used to seeing you know, object label, object label, and maybe a video or two. Mm -hmm. And that's great, and that's our stock and trade. Um, but I think we, especially with this one, uh, American Medina, we just needed to do more. And, um, I, you know, it's a privilege for someone like me to, you know, have people literally invite me into their homes, into the masjids, into the community centers, and say, yeah, you know, even in these difficult times for my particular community, I'm willing for you, a white man, to come in with a recorder <laughs> and record me <laughs> and my briefcase, which, you know, could be FBI or who knows what, right? Right. So, um, it's a leap of faith, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is good for, you know, considering the nature of the project. So, um, you know, how could we tell stories of, you know, identity journey or faith with or, you know, uh, experiencing anti-Muslim racism without those first person voices, mm -hmm. you know, and being, you know, a, uh, a predominantly white organization that, you know, uh, has existed for over 150 years. I think we just couldn't have used like our official voice. Uh, and so it was it was imperative to, to do that. 
uh, I think um, the exhibition, maybe we could have gotten our standard visitors, but I hope, you know, lots of people from various local and beyond Muslim communities will want to see it as well because they feel like to some extent it's at least an authentic um, portrayal of various communities, urban and suburban. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely felt just a, a tremendous sense of authenticity mm-hmm. looking at each of the items, um, listening to uh, the, 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 or the interviews. Um, and what I can say, you know, as a Muslim, someone who's lived here my entire life, as mm-hmm. an African-American Muslim, there are a number of communities that I have never visited, mm-hmm. never visited, uh, whose history I know very little about. Mm-hmm. But this exhibit allowed me to kind of come into conversation with them through these artifacts, mm-hmm. right? And and I think I think just for as a Muslim, I think it's a it's a wonderful gift for us to be able to see uh, into into each other's closets, so to speak. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, and and I've got to give a shout because I'm I'm never a gloom and doom guy. I think that uh, the the community is doing a much better job about being intentionally uh, connected. You know. So and I think I really feel like this was. Um, this kind of shared that that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit about the new generation, the future. We think about the youth, mm-hmm. right? And there was a substantial uh, uh, part of the exhibit that you see these young faces, mm-hmm. hear these young voices. Talk about how that how that came about and what was that process like? Yes, our teen historians. So yes. I can take it up to a certain point, and then I think Mona can bring it home from there. So. Our, some of our oral history projects that we've done you know, on the West Side especially are, have been youth engaged where we've worked with young people as the oral historians actually interviewing um, uh, their elders uh, about various aspects of various communities. And so that was something that we wanted to see happen with uh, the American Medina exhibition. And um, that's really one reason why we hired Mona, because of her background teaching and youth work and community work. Um, And so uh, we had the goal of working with, it turned out to be eight, um, paid part-time teenagers from uh, Muslim communities, city and suburbs. Um, And so I helped Mona kind of uh, start that process and give them the kind of oral history training and then I had to kind of step back to other aspects of the project. And then Mona kind of took it from there um, and did like the daily work with them. Yeah, th- th- those teens were very easy to work with and they, Michelle did a really good job. Okay. And so they did quite a bit of research for the anti-Muslim racism section, as well as had input in the, the design of the exhibit. And then they went out and recruited people to be interviewed they set up really? interviews. Yeah, they they were hands on. Okay. <laughs> they set up interviews that we didn't know about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> they said, okay, I get to walk in and let me interview. They're like, wait. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, but no, they managed to take it and make it their own. And I think the moment that really hit me how important it was for them was when we had a community advisory council meeting. And they were there to present and talk about how important this exhibit is for them how important it is for them to connect to other Muslim communities. Just like how you were saying, you didn't know about other, like the history of other Muslim communities, 
And these um, Tinosaurians, actually each one of them comes from a di different diverse background. Yeah. So we managed to get a nice little um, taste of everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they brought together their experiences, their knowledge, their know-how, and their connections. And they learn from each other and are very well connected. So from what I can see, as you're saying, like what's the future of the generation? They are, uh, they are it. Like they are a snapshot of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that Tina Stone's video, I love that video. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. The o my only, my only hang up that I had was that it was, it wasn't long enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be long enough. <laughs> 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 yeah. Seven, uh -huh. seven five minutes of the seat spot. Yeah. Right. It, it was yeah. it was great. Yeah. It was because you know I had my yeah I had my teens with me, and mm -hmm. you know the attention span that teens have but they were they were engaged the whole time mm -hmm. which was great and mm -hmm. i think especially because they saw you know they saw kids their age mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah because we as society here tend to think that well they're just teens they're not capable of doing so-called adult stuff right quotations um we don't put that much um that much like just don't give them that much credit for what they do and what they know how to mm -hmm. do and then if you give them the opportunity they can lead the way mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i think uh the proof is <laughs> the proof <laughs> is in the pudding right there yeah 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 and the 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 uh video that we're referring to is just for the radio islam listeners you can see a five and a half minute film as soon as you walk into the uh gallery space and it gives that sense of those themes identity journey faith through the 18 historians that we worked with from mm -hmm. may and this is actually their last week uh working for us they're coming back for other stuff yeah for other departments but this is their last week working with us just some really awesome young people did okay i, I have so many questions let me go to <laughs> <laughs> i do uh, okay i'm gonna start with this one so when you got this group of folks this young, these young people together, mm -hmm. and you had to give them uh, training, mm -hmm. right? Because interviewing, believe it or not, folks, it is a skill. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is, indeed. So what were some of the things that you had to go over with them? Because you got, and I, I just imagine them making an appointment to see somebody and sit down with them, and then they record and they leave, and mm -hmm. you listen, and you're like, hold on, you, you missed everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that did happen once in a while. Not too often, though. Um, so we, we have real simple training, and you know, while I don't invoke the name of Studs Turkle too often, his like approach to interviewing was very simple. And so that is kind of one uh, like tip of the cap to Studs Terkel that we do with our training is that we try and keep it very simple. Mm -hmm. So we focus on um, active listening skills and uh, follow-up questions, yeah. uh, which as you know, in your line of work here, it's very difficult, right? Yeah. You can all, like you think about, you know, am I double parked and how am I going to pay that bill? And, you know, <laughs> if you're a teenager, I got to do homework. And, right. You know, all those things. So. Um, Stand in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And so we do some things, some training, uh, some modeling around that. Um, and uh, we, we find that um, teens in general are, are good at asking questions because mm -hmm. they're coming out of the educational environment. So they're, they're paying, the teens that we recruit anyway are paying attention and they're asking questions. Mm -hmm. So they're used to that. One of the biggest problems really, uh, or not problems, hurdles, is just um, 
when the the young oral historians um, they decide only to stick uh, specifically to the questions, right, right, and they don't ask follow up questions. That actually hasn't been such an issue with this group, um, with some of the other projects uh, where we've worked with younger people. Um, that that was an issue, um, but we would uh, I think but between Mona and me, we've definitely listened to all the interviews, you know, riding the CTA, driving around in the museum van. And so we have given them kind of feedback, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially about asking questions about the, the early experiences. Sometimes they really want to rush to, okay, tell me about what it means to you to be Muslim, that kind of question. Mm-hmm. Um, but we miss like where they grew up and the high schools they went to and those kinds of things. So. Um, but they were, I think, for the most part, uh, receptive to the feedback that, that we gave them. Yeah, and as they continued further in their interviews, in the beginning they would do it in like a big group interview format, and then they started to splinter off into smaller groups into pairs until they got more comfortable to do their own lone interview. Mm-hmm. So they, once they started to get used to it, they, they picked up on it. Yeah. yeah, actually the last full day of interviews there was at least one teen historian who did it totally by himself and I said are you okay are you you know because his partner his interviewing partner didn't show mm-hmm. and uh, he said no I'm good and he did a good job yeah mm. so did you see a light go off for or or turn on I should say <laughs> for any one of them um, I, I imagine I don't want to assume but I imagine that this was their first experience doing this type of work mm-hmm. and you know and maybe they saw a future that for themselves that they didn't see prior to this experience. <laughs> did, did you see that with any of them? Either one of you? <laughs> what, do you what do you think, Mona? <laughs> it's not like a definite future, but more of uh, an inspiration to continue uh, yeah. getting to know, getting to go further into the history of Muslims, not just in Chicago, but in a nation, just in general, the Muslim American history, mm-hmm. and connecting to other groups, uh, other communities that they never normally connected mm-hmm. with. So some may venture into that. I know some want to be journalists, mm-hmm. so it's okay. possible along the line. They mm-hmm. came yeah. with that because you know, so that helped them even further. Yeah, yeah. Others uh, are picking up at, picking up as a hobby, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think uh, I think there were some light bulbs that went on, um, uh, just in the sense of like. What is it exactly that they're asking us to do? Certainly, some <laughs> reservation, and I, you know, I understand. And we had a we had some training of volunteers a couple of days ago, and so I interviewed the teen historians and just asked them, you know, for these volunteers who've never done interviews, kind of t- what is it like to prepare? And kind of one of um, his name is Abdul, one of the I would say slightly more reserved than some of the other uh, teen historians, really explained it well. He said, you know, it's you like you walk in and you don't know this person. The only thing you know, you might have in common is that you're both Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. And you've never met them. You've they've never met you. They're a little bit giving you the side eye because you're you know young, and so there is that preconceived notion of what teenagers can and can't do or want to do. Um, and so you have this weird artificial setting, and then you have to make. A, a moment out of that, an authentic moment. And um, Abdul just did a great job of describing that and how he thought that was weird at first, but then sort of kind of settled into that. Um, and I think when they work in those, especially pairs or 
or groups of three, they really, you know, they really can find their voice uh, and and work off of each other. So it, it's really cool to see how that goes. Mm. Yeah. Now, I know we mentioned we talk about the Muslim community's response and participation mm-hmm. in putting together the exhibit, but um, Muslims are still a minority <laughs> within the uh, within the larger society, right? Within Chicago, right? So, as for our non-Muslim listeners, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, the Radio Islam family it is diverse, right? okay? So, for the non-Muslim uh, listeners and those who would come and see the exhibit, what's something, and uh, in, in particularly that you think they would get out of this exhibit? Uh, well, it's actually something that Mona referred to a while back uh, in, in our conversation. Um, I think fans, uh, non-Muslim fans of Chicago history or just basically knowledgeable about Chicago history will see how probably the first purpose-built mosques in the United States were built at the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll get that. Um, they'll also see kind of a through arc of various aspects of Chicago history. So you'll learn about the Great Migration, mm-hmm. um, or you'll learn more about it and how it relates to Muslim communities. Um, you'll learn how Bosnian or Bosniak uh, immigrants in 1906 founded probably the oldest Muslim organization in the U.S. here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people will, hopefully some people, non-Muslims will see, okay, that's when you know, Polish immigrants and Italians and Greeks and all those other groups are coming. And so Muslims from Bosnia are coming here as well at the same time, doing the same thing, setting up community organizations. Um, they'll learn about the the importance of the Nation of Islam. They may be kind of somewhat familiar with it if they're local, local folk. Uh, and they'll also see kind of the WD Muhammad community coming out of that and see kind of the relationship between uh, that um, and and they can learn other things about the oral history process, um, about Rohingya refugees, um, refugees from Bosnia. So there's some little there's some touch points there too to maybe news, um, Chicago history, uh, being in Chicago. Um, that I think anyone it, it is ecumenical as you're saying your your listenership is I think. The, the exhibition is aimed at all different kinds of audiences, whatever their faith persuasions are or aren't. Mm. One thing that I really love about history, um, it can be as precise or expansive right. as, you, as you, you know, choose to see it. Mm-hmm. And this particular exhibit, uh, and thinking about the young people and how they identify themselves, you know, how they, they really present this attitude of, I'm a Chicagoan, mm-hmm. I'm Muslim, um, you know, and they're not mutually ex- exclusive, right? Right. So this idea that this this journey, this history, there's a Muslim, yeah, there's a history of the Muslim community and its diversity, but it's also reflective of the history of of Chicago uh, as well. So mm-hmm. it's real. This is a part of Chicago history. That's right. So, and I, I just think that's a, a wonderful. Uh, thing to kind of shine a light on, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think our actually our community advisors, uh, a group of local American Muslims who were some leaders, some everyday folk. Um, that was actually the first meeting, even um, months before Mona started. They said, you know, think about this: how you can tell Chicago history through the lens of uh, Muslim Chicagoans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have you do have things like the Columbian Exposition you know, immigration, refugees, um, 
you know, movement around the city. Um, the history of Uptown is very prominent in the first section, and a very important uh, neighborhood in the city. So, um, yeah, you see all of these sub-themes that are played out in all of our other exhibitions and our other public programming and websites and interpretive products are played out, you know, within uh, the, the, this particular American Medina exhibition. Mm-hmm. All right, so I've got one more question. Okay. The, when you first walk into the exhibit, you mm-hmm. see this beautiful, this calligraphy, and you see the American uh, Medina, mm-hmm. this design. Who designed it? Uh, we have uh, an internal uh, graphic designer. His name is Mark Ramirez. Uh, so he designed all of the, the entry graphic. Okay. Uh, and then we have an exhibitions designer. That's Dan Oliver. And um, he designed some of the light effects. Uh, and then we had a contract designer, Ala Diab, uh, who also designed uh, some of the uh, lighting effects as well. So, but Mark, the, the entry graphic... Mm-hmm. Uh, with the photos on the right side as you enter and the graphic on the left. That was Mark Ramirez, our in-house graphic designer. Awesome job, yeah. Mr. Ramirez. Yes. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I didn't lie, but I should have <laughs> called that a penultimate question. Okay. This is my last. <laughs> all right. Very question. good. How long after all of the items were curated mm-hmm. and the design was all laid out and everything, how long did it take to put this all together, to, to get it physically ready? Uh, well, good question. It's kind of an, um, as people say these days, an iterative process. So we were, the designers were kind of designing as things were getting installed. Um, so someone asked me that today. I think we started in earnest talking about the design maybe in January of this year. Okay. Um, but sometimes there's challenges, unforeseen uh, issues that come up with artifacts or the layout of the galleries. So there has to be some redesign of cases or spaces. Uh, so that kind of redesign was going up until probably almost the day before you saw Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the theater. <laughs> I was going to say, I know you have a theater background. Yeah. It is very much like the theater um, because you're, you're creating this temporary thing that's real, but also a little bit unreal, right? Right, um, right. And so it does have that theater quality to okay. it. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> we just made it. <laughs> so Exactly. Uh, all right, so listeners have to know, if they don't know already, mm-hmm. where is the Chicago History Museum located? How much does it cost uh, to see the exhibit? Uh-huh. And what are the hours of operation? <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, so... Uh, we are located where the Chicago History Museum, our website is chicagohistory.org. We're loca- located at 1601 North Clark Street, so that's the intersection of Clark Street and North Avenue, uh, right off Lakeshore Drive, south of Lincoln Park Zoo, in the southern edge of the park, Lincoln Park. Um, so let's see, you're going to test my memory. Um, <laughs> uh, Mondays were open uh, 9.30 to 4.30. Uh, Tuesdays were open 9.30 to 9, and on Tuesdays from 2 to 9, Illinois residents are free. Um, really? Yes. Oh. Uh, so a lot of, lot of Illinois <laughs> listeners you out there, you I'm winning. sure. Yes. <laughs> then Wednesday we go back 9.30 to 4.30, the same for Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday noon to 5. Uh, so um, right now, I believe like our full fare admission mm-hmm. uh, uh, for adults is $19.00. Um, for uh, youth 18 and under is actually free. Okay. Uh, so anytime. And then in the new year, so um, we're closed on January 1, but we o- will reopen January 2 
2020. And um, starting then, uh, Wednesdays will be free all day, 9.30 to 4.30 for Illinois residents. And we, we're keeping the two to nine free time for uh, Illinois residents. So okay. we're adding some free time in the new year. Radio Islam family, there is no excuse for those of you in the Illinois <laughs> right. uh, area, the state, yes, right? right, to not make it down here and see this. You just don't get any um, more affordable than free. Right, right. <laughs> and the don't. exhibition is open through uh, the spring of 2021. So there's plenty of time to come once and then come back uh, and see it more than once. All right. Well, I thank you both for being here. Um, and I'm going to get back again to okay. see it. All right. Uh, Radio Sound family, we've been talking with Dr. Peter Alter. He's a chief historian and director of the Studs Terkel Center for Oral History at the Chicago History Museum, along with Mona Askar. She is a curatorial assistant for the American Medina Stories of Muslim Chicago exhibit. As you just heard, it runs through May of 2021. Make sure you get there to see it. Uh, we do appreciate you listening and joining us for another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host and producer, Tariq el -Amin. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. With that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.